So uh, this name of the series that uh, we've been talking about is More, More, More. And in two weeks, that will be uh, New Year's Eve weekend, uh, Nelson and Mark are going to be preaching. And they decided to do a series, well, a one, uh, one sermon, and they're going to call it Less, Less, Less. And I'm kind of annoyed by it, but uh, we'll just see, have to see what they do with it. Anyway, there's, I'm sure it'll be fine. But anyways, in this, in this series, it, it seems like what we're doing is we're, we're saying, well, we desire things too much. You know, we desire too much out of uh, life, out of people, out of things. And we're left dis- disappointed with life. We're left disappointed with people. And that we... We desire too many things too much, and, and so we are disappointed. And, and that's really not what this series is about. Really, this series is not about desiring too much. It's, it's really desiring the wrong things. And essentially, I think our biggest problem is that we desire the wrong things too much. And we desire the right thing too little. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his uh, great uh, article called The Weight of His Glory, wrote this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not to be too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what it is meant to offer to, by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too easily pleased. And I think that's true. I think our problem is that we don't desire too much. It's that we desire the wrong things too much. And we find that they don't satisfy and we become dissatisfied. Uh, people will never say in their deathbed, I wish I had worked more. I wish I had made more money. I wish I had. Uh... But most people would say, you know, the one thing that I wish I had done is I wish I had spent more time with my family with my friends, and with the people around me that matter the most. And I think that's what most of us would say if we came to that point. So um, we want to talk about this whole idea of community. Because community is, is something that I think that we're more connected through the Internet, through phones, through all those things than we ever have been. I mean, we could send a message around the world in seconds. But we are more disconnected, you know, than we've ever been, I think. Uh, it's interesting to me that people can hide and say horrible things to other people because they know they're anonymous. And so, in, in a sense, we desperately need community, but we're not very good at finding community. And we think we ha- we're more connected. We think we have more community. But in the end, we are alone. We feel alone. So, I'm watching this show, and it's... <laughs> It's driving me crazy. It's it's a great show, and it's called Alone. And it's I think it's either on History or Discovery Channel. And essentially the gist of it is they had thousands of people um, apply for the show. And you had to have some sort of skill. You had to be good at trapping. or you, it was a, It's an outdoor show, okay? So you had to be good at trapping. You had to be good at, you know, getting food, fishing or, or trapping food. You had to be good at making a shelter. You had to be good at knowing what to eat and not to eat. Uh, outside so that you don't kill yourself by eating the wrong mushrooms or whatever. You had to uh, basically be a fairly good, you had to make fire. You had to be able to 
you know, find clean water. And, and you know, so, so each person, so it was narrowed down and they had like 50 people come for a week of training and they were cullied down to 10. They finally got it down to 10. So there's 10 contestants, men and women, and they were uh, taken to uh, South America and uh, they uh, actually, uh, Patagonia, uh, Argentina. And it's a real desolate place, and it's it, the weather is really rough, and it's difficult. So they have ten people, and and they they're they're separated. They're each in their own place, which is miles apart from each other. So they never have contact with anyone or each other, and they're placed in in in, in their environment, and they have to basically outlast whoever else is there. And there's ten of them, and so. Every week you, you, you see how they're doing and they have to shoot their own video. So they have, I don't know if they have GoPros or whatever, but they shoot their own video. There's no cameraman with them. It's just them. It's just them. They're alone. They're alone. And, um, so I think the, the guy that won last year went 66 days. Uh, and, uh, for, there are some, in God, some Godforsaken play, place in Canada. Um, but no, Canada is beautiful. And if you're a Canadian, I just didn't mean to, to shirk, but it was, it was a harsh place where they were, they were staying. So they're in this very harsh place and you think, well, m- most of them are probably quitting because they, they're, they're just, they're hungry and they can't find water or they're, they're, they're animals. There's dangerous animals. There's bears, there's lions, or jaguars. There's, there's also this place they're at right now. There's wild boars. So there's just all sorts of just different, uh, difficult situations. Uh, it's rainy, it's wet, it's going to get cold and it's going to get snowy. And, and so you think, what is the biggest reason why most of them give up? It's not for lack of food. Or lack of water. It's not for lack of shelter. It's not because they're fearful of the animals around them. The number one reason of why most of them give up is they can't stand being alone. Guy was there for three days. And he was one of the strongest contestants. And he just he became a whimpering uh, a mess. And he gave up. He tapped out. Now, they do this with the idea that uh, one of them is going to win half a million dollars. But the point is, show is very illustrative of this idea that we desperately need community. We desperately need community. And that's really the key point I want you to see, that God created us for community and that every one of us yearns to be part of a loving and caring community. Now, through the years, through history, human community has had its ups and downs, right? So... God begins in a garden with a man, a single man named Adam. And he says, it's not good. Everything that I made is great. It's good. It's very good. Except he comes to man. And what's the problem with man? He's alone. So God prepares for him a perfect person. And he and 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 there was probably a lot of co, you know, they were they were meant for each other. They complemented one another. They worked together. And so there was community, the first community. And by the way, God created community because God experiences community, community in the Godhead. The Father, Son, and the Spirit. So since eternity, since before eternity, God existed in in community. So God basically understands the importance of community because of the Godhead. It's not just a God, it's 
God. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. They're co-eternal and co-equal from the beginning. And so God creates community, and then we have the fall of mankind. So now every relationship is tainted from that point on. So now there's betrayal, there's lying, there's cheating, there's, there's all those, there's murder. You don't, you don't have to go to a couple more chapters and one brother murders another brother, right? So now community is, is severely damaged. Uh, no longer is it naturally loving, nurturing, gentle, kind. Instead, it's fallen and rude and harsh and brutal. Relationships now have become shallow, selfish, empty, unhealthy, and broken. And that's where we are today. That's where we are today. Now, some of you are here and you've given up on relationships. You say, you know what? I've tried relationships and, and I've trusted people. I put myself out there and I've gotten, I just, I've gotten just burned and I'm just not going to do it again. I'm just, I'm going to put a wall up. I'll let people get so close, but I'm not going to let them get any closer because the minute I get, let them get in, I get hurt. I get burned and I'm not going to do that again. Some of you though here today, You've caught a whiff of what a beautiful relationship can be. You've experienced what God intended from the beginning. You've you've been accepted by another person, maybe a bunch of other people. And they've loved you and they've cared for you. They've been sacrificial to you. They're concerned about you. They miss you. There's there's that, that whiff of community that you've had. Maybe it's because you were raised in a healthy, supportive, uh, family, uh, and you found those relationships, and maybe that's where you found it. Uh, maybe you found it in, you know, in, in, in a community, another type of community. But see, Jesus came. He came to save us from our sins, but he came more. He came to heal our relationships, and he came to create a new community, a new community. Jesus said, I don't want you just to wait to get to heaven you know, by the way, one of the things that's interesting, we have some messed up ideas about heaven. And we used to sing this song about pearly gates and, and uh, I'm going to have a mansion on a hill and basically my mansion's going to be bigger than your mansion. And I'm going to have like a driveway with a gate on it. And you, it didn't say all that, but the implication was that God is preparing you. Uh, I think it comes from the John 14 passage. Um, I'm going to go prepare for you a mansion, but it doesn't say this. I'm going to prepare for you a place. And the idea is it's more of a, a room. You know, think of a um, bed and breakfast where you have a room, but you, there's community there within that. And so that's essentially what, what uh, John is talking about. But uh, Jesus talks about this idea of uh, that, that we need community. We need healthy, supportive, loving community. Every one of us needs that. And he speaks about that, uh, this new community, uh, when he's asked a question one day. So I want you to turn to that passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, and it's on page 753 of your chair Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, and you can turn to 753, and it's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 23. Now, when I read this passage, most of you, if not all of you, say, oh, I know this passage. I've heard this before. I've seen this before. But it began when Jesus got a question. Matthew chapter 22, verse 33. When the crowds heard him, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him. All right, so the question is meant to trap Jesus. 
They want to get him to a place where he he says something that they can get come back on him and trap him and 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 prove that he's not from God. And ultimately, they're always looking for a reason. And so here's the question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't stop there. He says this. Love your neighbor. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. In other words, what he's saying here is, if you can do both of these, you will probably follow the law perfectly. You will love God and love your neighbor. You'll do well. You'll you'll generally, this is, if you want a big picture of what should I do to please God, here it is. Love God and love others. So in our passage, he points to the two most crucial relationships that anyone living on earth must consider. If you're here uh, listening to this message, whether you're, you're in one of the campuses, you're online or whatever, these are the most important things that you consider. Because sometimes you say, well, what, what parts, what, what must I do to please God? What is God looking for? Well, he tells you right here, love God and love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these relationships are related to one another. They depend upon another. You can't really love your neighbor until you love God. One has to come first before the second one comes. Now, Jesus is saying something very important about both these relationships. It's our duty, but it's also our delight. It's our duty, but it's also our delight. Now, what do I mean by that? In other words, there's nothing else in the universe that demands our undivided attention than loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. That is the most important thing that you could ever put your efforts and your time and invest your life into. Investing your, t- your time into loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. But the other side of the coin is this. There's nothing else in the universe that can satisfy your lonely heart. Do you see? It's not just a duty, it's a delight. Because when we serve God and when we, we look to God and when we serve others and we, and we try to serve others as we already serve ourselves, I think that's what he's saying in Matthew, we get a benefit from that. Do you think the people that went down to the school and handed out the books to the kids got something out of that? Yeah, I, I was one of them. Do you think when you take a missions trip to Haiti and you help out, at the school or help out the hospital, the clinic, that you're blessed. Most of the time, people, when they come back, they say, I, I, I went thinking I was going to be a blessing, but I was blessed. When you help somebody out who you, where you see a need and you know that God has given you more so that you can help somebody out, do you walk away and say, well, that was my duty? You might, but hopefully you walk away and say, you know what? I feel better. That, that ministered to me. That was a good thing for me. And if you examine the mission of Jesus, you will see that it points to the critical point, to this critical pursuit. Jesus came as a rescue party of one to die for us. And he did it so that we could, number one, establish a relationship with his Father in heaven, so that we could have that, but also to help us to rebuild the broken relationships that we have in our lives. 
And many of you are testimony that many of you, uh, before you came to Christ, had a lot of broken relationships. There's a lot of shrapnel relationships in your wake. And you came to Christ. And one of the things that happened is you those relationships began to rebuild because you had walls up. And now those walls came down and you started to make those relationships better. You became a different person. Because God had changed you. And so when God begins to change you, not only does that change your relationship with God, but it changes your relationship with one another. In other words, Jesus died on the cross, on the cross, and his cross is a symbol of these two critical relationships. So think of the cross. So what do you have on the cross? You have the beam, or you have the, the, the pole that goes in the ground, right? Like a telephone pole. And then you have the, the beam that goes across, right? The cross beam. So let's talk about those two parts. The vertical post. So the vertical post on which Jesus was crucified. Many times you see the pictures of Jesus and he's, uh, he's carrying his cross in the Via della Rosa. Uh, the way of, and that just means the way of grief. So he's carrying his cross. And many times you see him and he's carrying a full cross. So he's carrying the cross beam and the pole. So he's kind of got it over. That's probably not what happened. Jesus, when he carried, was probably just carrying just the pole. He was probably strapped to the pole and he was carrying the pole, uh, the cross beam. And he wasn't probably carrying the whole cross. But when he arrived at Golgotha, and Golgotha is an Aramaic, Aramaic word, and it means the skull. Uh, Calvary is the Latin word. So that's where you get Golgotha and, and, uh, and, um, Calvary. So you, you, uh, Golgotha is, is the Latin word. Uh, excuse me. Calvary is the Latin word, uh, and the Aramaic word is, uh, is, uh, Golgotha. But, uh, when he arrived at Golgotha, uh, basically the, the, the pole was already in the ground. And so Jesus was raised up on the cross beam and nailed there, and then his feet were nailed to the cross. Uh, the vertical post, though, speaks of our relationship to God, with God. So we have this vertical relationship to God, which is broken, right? And so when Jesus came, what he did was he spanned that, that gap from heaven to earth. What we tend to do is we, from our perspective, try to be good enough to be acceptable to God. And we can't. The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So what God did is he reached down with his son, Jesus. And Jesus, who lived the perfect life, he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He bridged the gap from from earth to heaven. He came from heaven and bridged the gap. So in Jesus' death, God reached down from heaven into the abyss of our human need. He sent his son to reconcile us. And by his death and resurrection, that happens. So the vertical dimension symbolizes our broken relationship with God. And when we enter into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that relationship now is restored. And we have life. And we are new creatures. And we're adopted. And all those good things happen. So the vertical post is the channel that conveys God's forgiving grace to receptive sinners. And it transforms our lives. And, you know, when we become participants of his new community. So I want you to turn over because Paul talks about that on page 896. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Ephesians 2, 13. And this is on page 896. 
So now we're talking, and what, what I've said so far is there's two relationships that are critical. Love God and love others. And they represent the post, they, they, they represent the two parts of the cross. And we're talking about the vertical part right now. And we're talking about a broken relationship and how Christ restored that relationship. When we put our faith and trust in Him, now we have a restored relationship with our Father in Heaven. And that that makes the possibility of a restored horizontal relationship with one another. Notice what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in His own body, on the cross... He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups, together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news or gospel of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all who of us who come to the father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us, all of us can come to the father. So he's talking about both those relationships here. He's talking about a relationship with the Father, but he's talking about a relationship with one another. In this case, he's talking about the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. But that could mean any human relationship. So the point here is, the vertical post speaks of our need to be reconciled to God, and Jesus is the only way that we can find reconciliation. It's the only way that we can be right with our Father in heaven. And until we're reconciled with our Father, we're not able to experience the redemptive, life-giving, transformational relationships that we desire to have with one another. In other words, that lays the groundwork for human relationships when we have our right relationship with God. And it makes a whole lot of sense. There's a whole lot of practical, practical information. When you think about it, when you're forgiven by God... And you, you say, well, God forgave me and I didn't deserve it. So can I forgive another person who wronged me? Well, absolutely. Jesus told a parable about that. I don't have time to talk about that, but he talked a number of parables about that. Now, here's the point. Many Christians, and you may be one of them here. Many Christians think that having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ is all there is to Christianity. As long as I have a relationship with God... Uh, and I have this, this good, right relationship with God, then I'm done, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters. I don't have to worry. I, I'm not on the hook. There's no responsibility. But the problem with that is it misunderstands the cross because the cross isn't just a vertical relationship. It's a horizontal relationship too. And that's the part we need to talk about next, the cross beam. The vertical post by itself does not make the cross. There's also a horizontal cross beam. It's called the crossbar. And Jesus didn't just die on a, on a vertical cross. He died on a full cross with a vertical pole and a crossbar. The arms of Jesus were stretched on a horizontal rack and his servant hands were nailed to it. His outstretched arms actively demonstrated how far he would go to set us free. How far would he go to set you free, to heal you, to, to, make you, to give you new life? This far. 
And the question is, how much, how do you know how much Jesus loves you? Well, just look at how far he stretched his arms out. Christ died for us, and because we really matter to him, he extended his arms out from the cross being to all who want to be reconciled with God and also with one another. See, there's a lot of Christians say, you know what, I, I have a relationship with God, but I don't want to have anything to do with his church. You go, wait. You're not understanding Scripture because the Scripture is very clear. Jesus didn't just die so that you can go to heaven. He died so that you can have good relationships with one another here and now on earth and in heaven in the future. He didn't just die so that you could have your sins forgiven. He died so you could have relationships here and now. Why? Because we desperately need those relationships. That we weren't meant to live in isolation. We weren't meant to live by ourselves. We weren't meant to live alone. We weren't le- meant to live with barriers. We were meant to live with one another. That's what it, we're, we're made to do. So the cross not only provides um, our, our personal reconciliation with God in, his ver- in its vertical dimension, but it also makes possible corporate reconciliation among humans. And that's why Paul says in the passage we just got done reading that now the Jews and the Gentiles can come together in this new community that we call the church. In the first century, that was like groundbreaking. I mean, the good, the good portion of the beginning of Acts was all about what do we do with these Gentiles? Because the church began as a Jewish church. And now all of a sudden the, G- the Gentiles are speaking in tongues just like the Jews. And, and they're going, what do we do with these Gentiles? And the answer was, they're part of the church. The wall has been broken down. Not only are you reconciled with God, but you're reconciled with one another. This is groundbreaking. This is groundbreaking. So the first commandment, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might um, and all that we have relates to the vertical dimension of the cross. It has to do with our relationship with God. But the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, pertains to the horizontal dimension of the cross. It, It concerns our life within community. Do you see how both of those are tied to the cross? That it's not just God getting you ready for heaven, but it's, it's giving you life here and now. It's changing your human relationships. It's restoring relationships. It's changing you so that you can be back in relationship with others. See, one piece of timber without the other does not make the cross. And there's a lot of Christians that do not get that. And if you walk out and all you get is that, That God doesn't want to just reconcile you to himself, but he wants you to reconcile with one another. If you just get that, you are miles ahead of a lot of Christians. Because there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't need the church. I don't need to be with other Christians. But you see, genuine community with God translates to active participation in the building of his local church. The point is, it's impossible to love God without loving our neighbor. Since in actual practice, our service to God can only find expression as we serve others. I said that last weekend. You say, well, I want to serve God. Well, you can't serve God. It's impossible to serve God without serving other people. You can't do it. The nurturing of community cannot be a side issue or an optional matter for Christians. It is, it is as important to God as your individual salvation. Can I say that one more time so it sinks in? Your building of community and reconciling relationship is in God's eyes as important as being reconciled to God. Because he says, and a second is just as important 
He doesn't say, well, this is the only one you need to worry about and the other one you can let slide if you feel like. No, he says they're both equal. Being reconciled to God and being reconciled to one another is essential. It's not an option. It's not like, well, I don't feel like it. Without community, there's no Christianity. That's essentially what he's saying. What Jesus is saying in the cross is that perfect community, oneness with God and oneness with one another, is found at the intersection of the two segments of the cross. The people who have been reconciled to God find new reconciliation with one another. This is groundbreaking. This is absolutely groundbreaking. In other words, we have a foundation for new redemptive relationships. We have the ability to experience what God intended for mankind from the beginning. We have an opportunity to experience a little of what the perfect, loving, sacrificial relationships will be like in heaven. Jesus is saying you can experience heaven here on earth right now in your human relationships. You don't have to wait for heaven. Community is a central part of God's purpose for humankind. How important is it? How important is community? Because, see, that's one thing I, I hear. I hear Christians say, well, I want to have a relationship with God, but I don't really want to have a relationship with other people. And I want you to see that's not an option. Not for a Christian, is it? If you understand God's Word, that's not an option. Let me give you one more passage. Turn over to page 825 or John, uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. So in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying for his followers his disciples but he's also praying for us because he pray in this prayer he's saying and i pray for those who will believe meaning us those who will believe down the road and here's what he says it's very important he says this, this is, i'm going to read verse 11 and i'm going to jump down to verse 20 okay so in verse 11 he says this i'm departing from the world they are staying in this world talking about the disciples but I am coming to you, Holy Father. You have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Do you see the point? What he's saying, what Jesus is saying, as the Father and Son and Spirit experience community, I want them to experience what we experience because it's so glorious, it's so beautiful, it's so essential to what they desperately need. I want them to experience what we've experienced from all eternity. But then he goes on and says this. I'm praying not only for those these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I, in, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Do you see what Jesus is saying? At the end of his life here on earth, he, you say, what was the one thing that Jesus prayed for? And he didn't pray, I hope you be, you'll be reconciled with my Father in heaven. Now, he wanted that, but what he prayed for is that we would be reconciled to one another. That we would have such a love for one another, such a a, a vibrant, loving, supportive community, that the world would say, what 
is that? Because I don't have that and I don't know what it is, but it's beautiful. And I desperately want it. Jesus was asking for the restoration among humans of the oneness that God had originally entrusted to them in creation. He was saying, I want you to experience what Adam and Eve experienced before sin. And you can. You can have those relationships. You see, oneness made uh, the oneness that was part of the Trinity. Just prior to his substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, Jesus and his heart ached for his followers to band together in faith communities that would reflect authentic oneness so that their witness to the world would be effective. He says there will be nothing more powerful to the world than your love for one another. We live in a community-starved world. The most potent means of witness to the truth of the gospel is the magnetic power of the oneness that is solidified by Christ in his new community. It's, it's the center in, his new, in how he's provided for new community. It's party time. It's party time. Um, it's interesting how many people and many Christians view their salvation. Many Christians view their, their salvation as this. When I die, I'm going to do a solo flight to heaven. I'm going to do a solo flight. Um, where they'll, you know, we, we tell the jokes or whatever about it. They're making individual entrances into heaven. It's like a red carpet event, right? It's like, and now, you know, on the red carpet, uh, it's uh, Matt Collins and Matt's coming in. You know, no, no. The Bible teaches the opposite. You know what the Bible teaches? It teaches that the passage of believers into eternity will take the form of one mass migration. It's like a jumbo jet. We're all going together. You know, read First Thessalonians 4 where Paul says, I don't want you to be like those who have no hope. He says, if the Lord returns today, I'm paraphrasing, those who, who have died in Christ will be, be gathered together in the clouds, and then we who are alive will be gathered together in the sky, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That sounds like a mass migration. Sounds like a jumble jet. That sounds like something amazing. Doesn't sound like an individual event. It sounds like a community event. It sounds like a party in the sky, a celebration with people that you've come to know and love here on earth. See, here's the thing. Every one of us is dying for community. We all need it. But we've all probably been burned. We've all experienced the low points of community and how it hurts when we open ourselves up. But our world is dying for true, loving, caring community. Online community will not cut it. People are more connected today than ever, but they're more lonely and disconnected than ever. But God has created the local church to be the source of this new community. And this community that we desperately need. And yet so many Christians say, I could, t- I could give or take the church. I could give or take God's community. I'm not connected to other Christians. It's not really that important. And I just want to say to you, if, if you know somebody or if you kind of have that attitude, you have to rethink that because that's certainly not biblical. Jesus says, I want you to be reconciled to my Father, but I want you to have community here and now. 
there is, before I, you know, I close, I want to just say there's no community, there's no church without problems or issues. No community has arrived. Um, it's not perfect. It's not without it. You know, why? Because we, re, we accept everyone. We accept that the church many ways is like a hospital We're we're accepting people who are difficult. They're broken. They're unhealthy. The, the, the church is like a hospital for sick people. It is crazy people sometimes. But no community can better unite people from all races, gender and walks of life, age groups. The church is God's answer to the loneliness of the human soul. That's why Paul said Jew and Gentile are coming together because that is un, that was unheard of in that culture. It was unheard of that men and women would come together in that culture. That was unheard of. But when the church works, it's beautiful. It's unbelievable. I want to close with one quick story. So yesterday, in this room, we had a funeral for Tom Vance. About four years ago, maybe it was a little longer, Tom came to know Christ through our CRW community. He didn't want to go. <laughs> Somebody had said to him, uh, asked him about going to the CRW, and he said, I'd rather be lit on fire. He basically, God broke, broke that uh, wall down and turned, turned Tom's heart around. And Tom became a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Tom got connected to the body of Christ. He lives in Cedar Rapids. He'd drive out here to go to church because he had a community of believers that he was connected to. That community of believers... A little over two months ago, Tom began to cough up blood. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And he went real quick. I mean, it was quick diagnosis. You don't have much time. That community came around Tom. And I wish you could have been here in the service yesterday. I wish you could have seen the community of Christ come around his family, come around Tom while he was laying there dying. It was unbelievable. It was what we're talking about. You say, well, Tom must have been a nice guy. He must have been easy to get along with. No, he wasn't. He was scary. He was rough. But God began to break those walls down. And Tom began to have relationships, redemptive relationships that changed his life. And changed the life of others. That's the church at its best. And when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to make you right with his father. He made you, he wanted you to be right with one another. Now, will you be right with every person in your life? No, I get that. That's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is this. We desperately need those relationships. And you can put a wall around yourself. You can keep people at arm's length. But that's not what God intended. God wants you 
to find community. And this is a good place to do it. You're not going to find community if you keep everyone at at arm's length. Get connected to a small group. That's what Tom did. And they were with him. They were with him when he gave his last, last breath. And they were here yesterday. And they talked about not only how they ministered to Tom. Really, none of them talked about how they ministered to Tom. They talked about how Tom ministered to them. was one of the most powerful services I've been in in 10 years, easily. Because the body of Christ was so beautiful. And you want to know the bottom line? His kids, he has three kids. And I don't know if they get it. They can't figure it out. Why would you care about our dad that much? The answer is because he's part of the body of Christ. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we need to party more. We need to gather together in groups. We need to get to know each other. We need to understand that there is no perfect church, either local or universal, because we're all broken people and we're all imperfect people. But you didn't just save us so that we could go to heaven and live an existence alone in heaven. You created us for community. And Jesus broke down the wall that can create that community here and now. We can experience We've seen it. We've experienced it. We've seen glimpses of it. And Father, you, 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 Jesus prayed. He said, I pray that they would experience that real, true, heavenly community here and now on earth because if if the world begins to see that they'll say that is something i don't have because i'm just alone and i don't want to be anymore thank you father for creating such a powerful thing as community is not only reconciling us with yourself but also Jesus provided the way for us to find reconciliation and community with one another. And the cross points to that. May this be a place, whether it's this campus, the Roshek campus, whatever campus. If we're alone online watching this message right now, we're not connected to a church. I pray, Father, that that person would say, I need to get connected to a local community today because father it's it's an opportunity for us to experience what awaits us in heaven for that we're thankful and grateful in jesus name we pray amen